0: So Money, Episode 727, Vicki Robin, co-author of Your Money or Your Life. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. What's more important to you, your money or your life? Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Over 25 years ago, our guest today asked the world this fundamental question, and her book became an international sensation. Vicki Robin is here, everybody. Vicki is the co-author with the late Joe Dominguez of the iconic book. You probably have it on your shelves or you've seen this book, Your Money or Your Life. It's recently gotten an update for 2018 with a new forward by none other than Mr. Money Mustache, who's been on So Money as well. And if you haven't heard of Vicki Robin before... Know this, she began the financial independence movement before it was really trendy. She realized the importance of living well on less very early in her life. And she has spent the last few decades teaching this and other important financial principles to people all over the world. With over a million copies sold in about a dozen languages, Your Money or Your Life remains one of the preeminent guides on personal finance in existence. You can go to yourmoneyoryourlife.com to check it out. Today, we're talking to Vicki about her childhood, what inspired her to write the book, and how we can best apply her financial steps to... Here's Vicki Robin. Vicky Robin, welcome to So Money. I'm so I'm just I'm blown away. You're on the show. This is like a really a dream come true. I've been following your work from the very beginning of my introduction to personal finance and you are um uh, just such a champion for so many people. It's it's great to have you on the show and congratulate you on your reboot of your money or your life. Welcome.
1: Well, uh thank you very much. Yeah, thank you Farnution. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Your money or your life. It, it's it's on the <clears throat> shelf along with like Rich Dad Poor Dad and, you know, Think and Grow Rich, some of the most iconic And important financial books of our time, of our lifetime. Your Money or Your Life was first published over 25 years ago. It was an Oprah favorite and as a result became pretty much an overnight bestseller. I wonder, Vicki, if you had a lot of opportunities over the last few decades to reboot this book, relaunch the book. So why now? Why in 2018 did you feel it was the best time to to reopen the, the, this conversation that you started in your money or, or your life?
1: That's a great question, Farnoosh. Um, the reality is, is that I had a, a, a grandiose ambition, if you will. Um, with the publication of Your Money, Your Life. And several years before publication, I had been at a major conference on this, what was then a new idea called sustainable development. And I was just, you know, the person in the back row. And uh, all of the leaders from the United Nations, all of the leaders of environmental organizations, they all said the biggest driver of of planetary destruction is – the level and pattern of consumption in North America and everybody just would shrug and they'd go like, well, we can't handle that. You know, in America, it's, you know, it's your, it's right to consume and it's your right to consume and nine 11 go buy a tie. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, the solution to everything is retail therapy in the United States. And, uh, but I knew because we've been teaching this nine step program in your money, your life for 10 years that, uh, and we'd done surveys of, of the people who had, come to our seminars and we real, we knew that if people followed this program their consumption would go down by 20 to 25%. That was our, you know, data point and it was, you know, pretty 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 solid. And so I thought I am sitting on the solution to the biggest problem on the planet because if everybody did this program, we would reduce consumption by 20 to 25% and we would save the world. So that, that was the fire in the belly that got me to work on this for a decade. Um, and we thought that we were going to, like, you know, nail it by 2020. No, by 2000. We thought by 2000, we're going to turn this thing around. So I was very, very committed. Uh <clears throat> And by so the, year, the short uh, answer is
0: you were busy changing the world, helping the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, but not only that, by the year 2000 it was clear that we hadn't we hadn't, you know, we changed a lot of lives but we hadn't touched the the big thing. And so I sort of retired from that to try to find other ways to change the world or, you know, help in some way. And then uh, a couple of years ago I was at a conference and a major thinker in this space of, you know, per, like you know, sustainable consumption was talking. And I thought, I have heard this person saying the same thing for 30 years. Um, come on, I'm waiting for somebody to, to- to take it further than we did. And I realized, Oh, okay, fine. My job. <laughs> you know, I, I can return to this work. And especially because I started meeting young people who were so far in debt, preparing for careers that were disappearing. And I thought this is, um, this is almost disgusting. <laughs> it's deplorable, you know, that, that a society should um, in debt its young people and not support them. So it was that motivation. It was to help young people, another generation. And and at the time, I had no idea that there was something called the FIRE movement. I had no idea about Reddit or the financial independence subreddit. I just thought your money, your life has you know, faded into obscurity. I was going to give it a reboot and help young people.
0: And with that, you have a forward by Mr. Money Mustache who has been on this show and obviously he's <laughs> huge in the new agey personal finance space. Um, his blog is one of the most well-read, most visited blogs of all blogs, not just financial blogs. Can we save ourselves from this debacle that you see and I see? And I mean, it's it's no secret that we are an indebted Nation student loans are drowning the millennial generation, and in some cases, the Gen Xers and the Boomers can't escape their loans. They're still grappled with debt. What What do you think needs to change? Is it just spending less, or is it was it more than that?
1: That's these are great questions for Anush. Um, I really like them. Uh, so. What I think is we don't recognize that that consumerism we all consume from birth to death. We eat food, you know, we we breathe air um. But consumerism is the religion of consumption. It's really the shared religion of our country because, you know, in religious terms, we're at each other's throats. But consumerism, we can all agree on. It's a manufactured desire. It is in service to the corporatocracy, really. It's in service to the industrial production, to uh, manufacture uh, needs that really aren't needs. They're just passing Um, (laughs) programming from, you know, advertising, this whole system uh, is like, um, it's like, alcohol you know it's it's like it's at very least a habit and i think an addiction you know for some people it is an addiction you know i joked about retail therapy but it's really true to celebrate we buy something to grieve we buy something to you know to start our yoga uh, stuff we buy something you know we've committed to like exercise and we don't just go out the door and walk we go to we buy a gym we are so um swept up in the idea that every need has a product to fill that need that most people are not conscious of the process. And if you, you make them conscious, they actually don't want to change it. Uh, so I think that, and it's going to be very hard to address that. So what I teach, what Joe and Dominguez and I have taught for years, he passed away 20 years ago, um, is, is that um, to really understand that the money you spend is your life energy. It's really your one-way ticket from birth to death, and you're spending some of it on this thing that you're never going to use and throw out soon. So for self-preservation, you want to pay attention. And when people realize that, um, that you know, with whole, not, not spending money is self-preservation rather than not spending money is deprivation, that's what really shifts things. So I think we need to uh, collectively address this and it's going to be difficult. So it's people like you and me and everybody else in this personal finance space who are going to be repeating and repeating and repeating. If you buy something, uh, you know, and put it on your credit card, you're going to actually end up paying three times the, the nominal price because that's how much interest you're going to pay. So we have to just keep explaining to people the consequences of putting themselves in debt. Uh, and, um, and then also, you know, just even things like the big ticket items, like the, the major thing that has increased in the last 25 years is the cost of college education. Yet there are other countries where you can get a free college education. In Cuba, you can be, go all the way to being a doctor for free. You know, so we are sort of narrow focused on a, you know, a set of colleges and we mentally have them ranked according to status and the highest status ones, frankly, are going to cost us a hundred grand a year. It's, it's insane. (laughs) It's (laughs) insane. And we have to see that it's insane. And it's insane, not because I say so, but because you realize that you do not want to do this. And and so there's, you know, once you realize that, once you've freed your mind, once you realize, you know, I'm in the Matrix, you know, this is I'm in the Truman Show. Um, (laughs) You know, once you realize that and you develop sort of a no shame, no blame sense of humor about it or a sense of disgust or whatever sense you develop, then, you know, then you're open to the strategies. But you have to, like, see through the Wizard of Oz, you know. We, see, we have to see behind the curtain yes. in order to do that.
0: I want to get to learning more about you, Vicki. I know that you were born in Oklahoma. You um, had a great education along the way. I want to understand how you became so financially wise. But going back to when you first were pitching the idea of this book and the these concepts that you had and these theorems, like not spending money is self-preservation, consumerism is the religion of our country. These are all profound thoughts, but also perfectly simple. And I get it. And I think most people understand it once you address it. So when you were first introducing this book to, say, publishers and literary agents, and then ultimately the audience, I know Oprah loved it, but before that, there was a lot of other people you had to convince that this book was going to matter and be, be worthy. So what was the reaction? Were people like down with it or were they, because I feel like Not much has changed, unfortunately, in 25 years. The things you are saying (laughs) today, we still need to hear them compared to 25 years ago. And so back then, what was the reception to your idea? Um, What sparked it? And then how did people react to it before it it was published? Because I know there's a whole journey to getting a book published.
1: Yeah. So um, so I was, you know, number one – I had a natural bent to frugality because my desire for experience and adventure and learning, um, I saw very clearly that the less time I spent uh, trying to earn money for somebody else's agenda, the more time I had to live the life I wanted to live. And it occurred to me very clearly that the less money I spent, the longer it lasted. You know, so it's it was just completely, it was in service to something that I loved and something that I, I longed for. Uh, So, and then, you know, when I met Joe Dominguez, he actually explained to me that the money I had right then, you know, the money that was in my savings, I could invest. Um, And at that point we could get 9% on on US, you know, dollar denominated Canadian bonds, province of Ontario bonds. So I got 9% of my money. And uh, I live very frugally. I mean, and I I at that point, I thought, you know, like not having much money uh, requires you to be very creative to meet your needs. Uh, so rather than shrinking and being impoverished, it was like, oh, great. OK, I want this. Well, how am I going to get it without money? And so I learned a ton of basic survival skills. Uh, So Joe was my teacher, my frugality teacher, the, 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 the technology of it, um, the mindset of comparison shopping, et cetera, et cetera. So we were a great pair and he was very sort of introverted and reclusive and I'm, you know, hopelessly extroverted. So it worked out well um, to, I was the producer of the seminars and he would present them. And so that was over those years that's how it worked. And over time, yeah, to produce the seminars, We we were more spiritually oriented at that time and and somewhat um, sustainability oriented or environmentally oriented or oriented. So whenever we would do a seminar in a city, uh, we would reach out. There was no Internet. We would reach out by phone. We would get uh, lists from organizations that we were aligned with and they would uh, we would just sit in the phone, you know, and call people and tell them we were going to do this seminar. And if they wanted to come uh so it was really through networking uh and attraction you know once somebody had done the seminar they told their friends and their friends wanted to come uh and then you know the media started finding out about us and there was an article in a magazine called New Age Journal and an agent in New York read that article contacted us and said you have a book <laughs> and so uh we worked with her you know we Put her through her paces. We told her you have to read the book and apply it, and then we'll talk to you. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. So then, then she helped me create the proposal to put. We had already transcribed the seminar. We had all the it written, but we she helped me put that um, transcription into a sequence that was actually a book, an interesting book. And she sold it to Viking. So that's how it came about. We never tried for that. Um, we just wanted to be of service. And as a matter of fact, back back in that time, we didn't take any money from our seminars. We charged money, but we uh, gave it all away. Over 10 years, um, from the seminars and the tape course, we gave away a million dollars wow. in 800 small grants. Yeah. And that was just our fun thing to do. It's like, you know, if we're going to teach people about financial independence, we can't be making money teaching people about financial independence because then we obviously aren't financially independent. Uh, So we really walked our talk and we walked our talk in in a certain way out of rigidity, but also in a certain way of just sort of thumbing our noses at the Mm. assumption that everybody it, you know, you know, you scratch the surface of any saint and you find, you know, a financial sinner. So, so that was our fun thing to do. Um, so that's how the book came about.
0: I love that story. And, and I think it could still play out that way in these days and ages. I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you, like you did do the good work and you do it, with this uh, with the intention of being of service, and you create a movement, which is what you were doing. you created momentum, you were changing lives, and it caught on. and uh, and I'm so happy that um, it worked out the way that it did. I uh, was reading in the New York Times recently the review of the reboot of your book. what i Extracted from the review, which was generally positive, was that he kind of had an issue with the title. That was kind of his gripe, right? That he said it should be called. It maybe it should be called your your money and your life. Have you ever gotten that feedback in the sense that, well, if I manage my money the the appropriately, then I can have my money and I can
1: have my best life. That's an interesting question because when it was translated into Portuguese in Brazil, they titled it "Your Money and Your Life." Ah. And uh, for that very reason and and of course that's true you know it's it's but um, the shock value of your money or your life the the Jack Benny joke of it uh, right the the confrontation with the um, the um, discord between your values and who you say you are and how you spend your money. This sort of very clear with your money, your life takes you through this very clear tracking and evaluating the flow of money and stuff in your life. And you, you, then you ask the question of all spending categories. Did this make me happy in proportion to the amount of my life I invested in earning the money to buy it? Uh, and So you have to ask, what makes me happy? What really is true happiness? Is happiness, you know, getting a raise? Well, that's sort of what I call, I differentiate between deep thrills and cheap thrills, you know, and and that's sort of a cheap thrill. It's an excitement, Uh, you know, not for everybody. I know if you're making $11 an hour, $12 an hour makes a huge difference. But, you know, many studies say that after $75,000 a year, the the differential in happiness between people who make $75,000 a year and a million dollars a year is not much. Yeah. So 75 takes yeah. you to where you want to be. So, yeah, I, I just, I like the edginess of the title. I think your money and your life is softer, mm-hmm. it, um, but uh, we, you know, and most people said so the title is the whole book. You know? right.
0: No, I like it because I think for me, it, it translates into, you know, how you spend your money creates trade offs, and those trade offs ultimately define the quality of your life. And you're in charge of that. And I think it was Al Gore who said that if I want to learn about someone, if I want to know really who somebody is, I'll just ask to look at their bank statement.
1: Wow. Wow. When your statement just then is so clear, it's, it's funny how often we have to repeat that, you know. Yeah, Like there's a trade-off, you know, and because, because credit cards, that's going back to credit cards, they eliminate that sense of trade-off. I can have it all. I just have to put it on my card. I'll pay for it later, you know, or when I die. Hopefully at the end know. of the month in full, <laughs> as we advocate. Yeah, exactly. But most people You know, many people don't. Some people know how to manage their debt. I think that's probably if there is financial education for kids and and, um, my partner in in the uh, uh, we've created a platform, Grant Sabatier and I, we've made a commitment that the surplus money that we earn from this platform is going to go into financial education for kids. But this transformational money, values, happiness. Um, responsibility, not just, you know, not just, you know, the basic management that they teach you, the bank teaches you. So we have a big commitment to that.
0: Vicki, what was your first lesson about money growing up? Was there an experience that you went through or something you witnessed or a moment in your childhood that has stayed with you all of these years? <laughs>
1: That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> so, I have to, I'll I'll give you two memories. One okay. is it's the sort of embarrassing one. Um yeah, when I was a little girl, I had no understanding of money. I mean, I, I grew up in a middle professional family. My father was a doctor. So, you know, it was just sort of an invisible reality. I had no idea. But I had a big love for my Ginny dolls, which was the precursor, the the normal body precursor of the Barbie doll, you know, and I would sew clothes for my Ginny doll and I would like buy clothes for my Ginny doll, you know, like special, like for my birthday. Can I have another outfit? You know, I loved Cinderella, you know, I was a girly girl. And so my brother showed me a way to cut through the hedge at the back of the yard and go down this embankment and get into a part of town that had a toy store. And so I snuck out and I went to the toy store and I saw all this Ginny doll clothes. And so I I just like, oh I like this one and I like this one and I like this one. And I just, you know, I just put the boxes together and I walked out of the store. And the guy came after me, of course, and, and told me I had to pay for them. And I had no idea what paying for things was, you know, everything for me seemed just, you know, if you really like it, you can have it because that was my upbringing. I don't know whether that was, you know, a, a, you know, maybe that made me frugal. Maybe that made me aware that there's something called money and that there's, you know, somehow or another, you have to get that. But I would say that in terms of <clears throat> my most significant experience was, was when I, I really had a yen to escape the country and still go to college. So I was at Brown University, and I actually invented and created a program to, so that I could go for my junior year to Spain. And, and I had a set amount of money that you know would pay for my junior year, my nine months in Spain. And I figured out how to turn that into 16 months in Europe. You know, it's just like wow. I realized that's when I realized. How would you do it? how did I do it? Yes. I uh <clears throat> Well, um my mother actually bought me a car when I was there. So I had a little Volkswagen. And so I went everywhere. Every weekend, I would went, go to some part of Spain and i go to a festival and I would fill the car with friends. I mean, we would have five people in that Volkswagen and uh, we would get like loaves of bread and a bag of oranges And, uh, you know, we would just go and then we would um, knock on the door of monasteries and nunneries. And usually for, you know, basically what would be like 10 cents a night, they would give you a wine bottle full of hot water and you could go and sleep on some straw mattresses. So, I mean, I learned all the tricks of of how to extend the money so that I could see places and and learn things. Um yeah, so that's uh, those are my strategies and I and I I also I, I met a uh <clears throat> a Swedish man, a Norwegian man, um, on the boat over. And so I spent Christmas. Oh, there you go.
0: Yeah. Right. There we man. go. Yeah. Right. So you buried the yeah, lead.
1: So I spent all of you know, this <laughs> Christmas, you know, learning how to cross country ski in Norway and, you know, it was amazing. And of course I was his, his guest. I mean, I just figured out, I mean, I, okay. That sounds a little bit bad, but anyway, <laughs>
0: No, I you mean, know, I love it. It just, just sounds like you were, was- you were living your life. You were out to experience and not, not necessarily spend money. You know, you were there just to sort of soak it all up, soak it all in. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, yeah. So this is, you know, I mean, I just, you just learn the tricks. If you want something more than you want money, you can do it. If your life, you know, you need to develop a life that's bigger than your job. That's the thing. You know, I love I work on appetite. I work on desire. A lot of people think that frugality is 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 limiting your desires. It's not I have big desires. And I figure out how to fulfill them. In less expensive ways, like I would take third class trains and I learned that, you know, I would be in a third class train full of soldiers. They were always full of soldiers. And I learned that what I have to do is I have to sit down next to the 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 sturdiest old woman in black because the soldiers are never going to be impolite to the woman. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I learned tricks mm. to be safe Um in circumstances that probably if my mother had known, it would have, you know, she would have you know, <laughs> thought unsafe. Right. So yeah, just things like that.
0: Um, I was just interviewing Barbara Corcoran and she said that she always flies coach to save. And also because she doesn't feel comfortable in first class, I guess. And she said, but to make coach my... To make Coach a great experience, she brings like a bottle, a little bottle of wine, delicious fruit. She brings a huge tablecloth napkin. So she kind of <laughs> creates this really awesome experience for herself in Coach. And I just thought that was such a fantastic anecdote and so inspiring. Even someone like Barbara Corcoran, who could clearly afford everyone's flight in Coach, a round of oh, – I'm sorry, in, in first class, a round of first class flights, um, she chooses to to do it uh and like in the olden days.
1: Yeah. And the thing the thing about frugality, if you approach it in a particular spirit is in a spirit of adventure, is that you will have experiences that the people who are going first class will not have. I mean, I've traveled the world. I've I've uh, lived in South America. I've lived in Europe. I've I've been, you know, to every continent but Africa and, and Australia. Um, And I've traveled third class and in trains and I have every time and I've eaten in, you know, I've slept in pensions and and eaten in, you know, the street food. And I everything I do brings me more richness of experience than somebody who gets off the plane, gets in a taxi, goes to the five star hotel. Right. You know and as somebody pick them up and tour them around the prado or something museum yeah so for me that's the deal i i live on more money now than i used to uh at 72 it's not such a great adventure to sleep on the floor (laughs) so i mean i have given myself more more cushion in my life Mm. and that's fine that's fine What is something that you are saving up for
0: currently, if anything? Um, We ask this question of all of our guests. It's a question that is brought to us by our sponsor on the podcast, Chase Slate. And they would like to know, and I would like to know, is there something that like a big ticket item that you are currently eyeing and would like to afford in your future?
1: Well, since I'm such a saver, I'm not saving up for anything. I work, you know, I I use a debit card, not a credit card, and things like that. So I will tell you some of the things that I have bought recently and that I'm about to buy. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just bought (laughs) this is going to seem like a a funny splurge, um, but I bought a um, 1,500-gallon rainwater cistern. Um, as a sort of survivalist measure, put it in the high point of my yard, and it's going to gravity feed uh, water to my garden. And um, so that's a long term uh, natural solution to uh, availability of water. Uh, I am going to fulfill a long-term dream of, I have a house that, that faces Mount Baker and Saratoga Passage, the Puget Sound, I see the water and the mountains from my house. And my uh, office is completely set up so that I could replace the window, put in a sliding glass door and a balcony and be able to sit out there. And I, I have a lifeguard chair. So I put my lifeguard chair out there and just be above the rooftops and above the treetops and look at the water in the mountains. So that's the splurge I'm doing. If I ever had to do a splurge, That, you know, somebody wouldn't pay me to go somewhere that I wanted to go. I have a real love for Brazil. Um, I have friends there. I've taught there. Um, I learned Portuguese like a baby learns Portuguese. Um, It just feels like the country of my soul. Um, And uh, so I definitely want to go to Brazil next year. And it's a couple grand to get there. So... I would pay that out of my own pocket <laughs> if I couldn't get somebody. To, if it
0: is the country of your soul, I think that you can't really put too high. But you, you can't put a price tag on that in some in some cases.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just to be there. I mean, as soon as I touched that, touched the ground in Brazil, something came alive in me, and I realized that it, the Brazilians have bodies. You know, we have. Mm-hmm. I realized I have a head with appendages. I'm I'm a thinker, <laughs> and and in Brazil, people are are embodied. They're dancers. I mean, Samba, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a white European from the su- uh, Southern Brazil or, you know, a, uh, you know, an uh, 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 African, former African slave, you know, heritage in northern Brazil. It doesn't matter what, you know, and Brazil is like as multicultural as this country is. It doesn't matter. Samba is like the bottom line. So, so when you're in a country where dance is the bottom line, then um yeah then it's like people are in their bodies and yes it gets extreme you know with with liposuction and all that stuff but basically people just enjoy their bodies and it's so beautiful and nature is so present i feel like the presence of the amazon it just just radiates you know this sort of deep embodied energy and you can't miss it so ever since i've been going to Brazil, I do ecstatic dance on Sunday. That's my church. You know, I, I love being in my body. And so, um, yeah, so that's probably, that would be a splurge that, um, I would do happily.
0: I love that. You know, the, you know, the studies, right? That when you spend on experiences that can actually increase happiness where, more money may not buy you happiness as as the other studies have shown, or buying stuff we know obviously doesn't uh, boost uh, happiness levels, but when you go on a trip, experience something fun, new, exciting with friends and family, and that actually does um, pay pay it back in in happiness happiness points.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I almost don't do anything that doesn't make me happy. Yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm a very committed activist on major issues around preservation of nature and um, justice, you know, and and even though it's sort of gnarly and it's long and it's dragged out and it's boring and it's conflictual and all these things, because activism isn't easy. uh, You'd rather stay home. Um it just it just feeds my soul to step up morally in this world. So I don't really have to do. I mean I've been financially independent for 50 years at a very minimal income level. Um and Wait, so
0: Is there anything that you regret doing with your money? We uh ask guests usually about their financial failures, however big or small they have been. Is there something that you reflect you reflect on with a bit of uh I don't know. Not maybe not regret, but just like, oh, that was pretty dumb.
1: Yeah, I think um Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. Um, number one is after being sort of like the avatar, like the mascot for frugality for a decade, I found after I stopped doing the Your Money or Life work that I had developed a rigidity around frugality you know, sort of an arrogance, the arrogance of spending little. And I had trouble loosening up, even though I had to. Joe had died. And and so the whole team that we put together, people went to the four winds. And I was no longer living with a team of people and, you know, who were like, you know, sort of like mutually supportive and being frugal and, uh, you know, resource shared as a cost halved. So I just had to spend more money and it was not easy. And when I had my, when I moved into my first apartment alone, um, it it just seemed like a palace, you know, it was 600 square feet and it seemed like a palace. And I spent my first year living there because I I say, you know, it was my first place out of college because I'd always lived with other people. Um, And I was 60 years old. And so I just, but I would go to the dollar store and buy things, you know. So, I it was just very, very hard for me to break what I called cash register consciousness, where I was always computing the price of things, and I was denying myself some things in order to, um, in order just to feed the frugality commitment. It, it had nothing to do with how much money I had, because I'm always a saver. So that that's something I. I still deal with, you know, I still have it wired that frugality is freedom and the less I spend, the longer it lasts. All of those, you know, good lessons, I think they were too, they were too much. Um, And um, the other thing is that I'm part, so that's one thing. And I think I'm doing better on that. Um, And uh, the other thing is that... um, I'm part of a lending network in my community where people want to bring a certain percentage of their wealth into local businesses. So we formed a network and we invite, you know, businesses, you know, current businesses that want to expand or new businesses to send us a letter of interest. And then those of us who want to lend money to that, that endeavor can do so. And I had never done that before. And my first loan was to a, um, yeah, she was just, she just played played our whole system. She opened a bakery, and I felt just so excited to support this woman who was pulling herself up by her bootstraps, and I did not look under the, the hood of that. Oh. Yeah. You didn't check her credit score? Come on. Yeah, I didn't. I, didn't, <laughs> no, I mean, I've never had debt. I was really yeah. innocent. I was just, like, working off of emotion. And so I, you know, bye-bye that money. <laughs> oh. So when she skipped town, and um, mm. And uh, it was a good lesson that I, you know, I need to separate my emotional responses from how I lend my money. I had also made a loan to somebody else who I trusted a thousand percent and um, and he had no intention of paying it back. And I finally contacted his company because he was a finan- He was my financial advisor. Oh, geez. And I contacted his company and I told them what he'd done and they paid me back. Wait, and so
0: why did he take money from you that he wasn't planning on returning? Why did he, did he ask for a loan from you?
1: Yeah, yeah, he did. And um, he had a cockamamie story that, that somebody had stolen his, his credit card number and emptied his bank account. And he was, it was just temporary. And, and you know after this happened, you know, after I was sort of in the pickle that he wasn't paying me back, there's, there's more to the story that makes it even worse, but we're not going to go into that. Um, yeah. Uh, I, um, uh, I called this ex-wife and I said, you know, you can just hang up on me if you want to, but like, I just need to know, like, is this a pattern of behavior? She said, oh, I'm so sorry for you because he does that to everybody anyway oh my gosh I know so that oh. was a little traumatic when you you know when you give a, a loan to your but
0: you got it back uh, and you did the right thing by calling. yeah the, the I did and then, you know
1: I mean I was you know so both of those things teach me that you know with regards to lending money you've got to be not nice
0: yeah you have to be really matter of fact about it and if you can't deal with not getting paid back, then don't do it that's my philosophy exactly like exactly
1: get- I've gone on to lend a lot of money into my community um but I' vetted those loans they're businesses where I'm you know the business itself is collateral um. And um, so, and I take some of my interest on in the loans in products. So I get dahlias, <laughs> I get cat litter, you know, I get farm produce. Uh, yeah, so and so it's very relational. And, um, and these are people I know, and have been in the community a long time and have a lot of collateral. And so I feel good about that. You know, I feel like I've learned my lesson. I can still open my heart, and but I open my heart and my mind is as sharp as a tack, we hope.
0: <laughs> you said yeah. you're 72? Yeah. I can- I'm going on 73. Wow. God bless you. I mean, that's like – 72 is the new 42, right? I guess. Uh
1: (laughs) No. I mean, they say 70 is the new 60 and 60 is the new 50. So we're sort of like – I sort of have a past to be immature.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, um, we're so grateful that you decided to just uh, reinsert yourself into this ever – ongoing, you know, conversation and effort to help people with their finances. We need you now more than ever, Vicki. You have no idea. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and congratulations on the the latest edition of Your Money or Your Life. I know that um, Joe, rest his soul, he would be so happy and proud of you and that you're carrying this message into the next generation. Wishing you an amazing summer.
1: Yeah, and I do want to say that um, I have partnered with this man, Grant Sabatier, who's 32 years old. Yes, Grant Sabatier,
0: Millennial Money. He's been on the show. And uh,
1: yeah, Grant is amazing. And he approached me a year ago and he said, I want to do a platform for your money, your life. You know, he's a real pro on, on Internet, you know. PR and marketing and stuff like that. And because I want to form a community, I think, you know, when I read your book and I was so excited about it, I couldn't find a community. I couldn't even find you on the internet. So he has, we've built together. We have this Amazing platform that's just a little wee baby. It's going to be amazing uh, at your moneyyourlife.com. And I do want to mention that so that people can come on over and find us.
0: Absolutely. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes. I mentioned it in our introduction and we will uh, mention it again in our outro. Thank you so much, Vicki. Thank you for our new Oh, and I hope that I can meet you and when I'm in New York. I would love that. I know you're heading to Brooklyn later this summer. Please. Don't let that opportunity go by. I would love that.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Okay, thank you.
0: Thanks so much to Vicky for coming on the show. The website for the book, again, is yourmoneyoryourlife.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Vicki herself, go to vickirobin.com. She's also on Twitter at vicky underscore Robin. If you have a question for me about saving money, getting out of debt, your career, everything in between, head over to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh and let me know what's on your money mind there. And also if you'd like to co-host with me on the Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in everyone. And I hope your day is so money.